You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because not only do we have an entrepreneur, we have a published author. You may recognize him because he's been on our show before. Ralph Adamo, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Rick, for having me. So we are going to talk about your newly released book, Integrity at Work. And so let's start with as an author, what was the inspiration or the motivation for you to make the commitment to write this book? Yeah, so after some 37 years in in this profession, I uh, I felt that the consuming public really didn't have a clear idea. We've gone through a lot of evolutions in the financial services industry starting back in the 80s where the banks and the brokerage houses and the insurance companies started to meld together, blur the lines, cross over. And uh, from that came a lot of thinking in which certain providers were now uh, providing more than what was staying in their own lane. Mm -hmm. And uh, this term wealth management was birth. Um, and it was birthed essentially from my uh, studies and going back and trying to research it in Asia with Citigroup at the time, part of the Citibank uh, organization that we know today. And Citigroup used this term initially, wealth management. And But no one really defined what it was. We just knew it was more likely a more broad uh, offering than just one of the elements of financial services. So I... I took it upon myself, and I think certain parts of our profession and, and, and industry has defined the, what they believe are the lanes. For us, there are eight lanes or eight silos or eight categories wide that the terrain and territory necessarily should incorporate. Um, we've productized what our eight pillars are or eight categories or silos are. We call it the wealth track formula. But the most important thing is I was trying to convey that wealth management should have some sort of definitional purpose and it should have some clarity so that people understood what they're getting as opposed to the emphasis of the provider. It should be clearly uh, an emphasis of the terrain and the territory that we're trying to explore and trying to resolve. Is it your experience, Ralph, that people don't understand how to partner with their wealth manager, financial advisor. There's a saying, once you've met one financial advisor, you've met one financial advisor. And that is true. Idiosyncratically, niches, emphasis. Oftentimes the emphasis I find, which is troubling, I think, is that it's revenue centric and firm centric in mm -hmm. its construct. It's about what is best, what is easy, what is natural to the advisor or the advisory firm, and they begin to emphasize that. Well, I think wealth management requires the financial advisor to, to somehow put themselves through the contortions of understanding that providing wealth management means more than just the things you have a strong suit in. It means following the client through to completion. 
It means following up on issues and issue spotting in areas in which aren't revenue centric to your firm. And so it gives birth to now putting the, the message and the meaning to be client centric, not firm centric. Well, even when you say there's eight tra eight lanes and you have a wealth track management system for each eight, that that sounds like that could require a lot of knowledge to be aware and capable and competent in eight different lanes of advice for your clients. Yes. So here, here's something that's interesting. Um, it takes a lot of knowledge to um, to fly a plane, <laughs> right? And the pilot. I says <laughs> the pilot implies if you don't arrive safe, we don't arrive safe. And, <laughs> right. and that should be the truth. But here's how we have been able to spread our tentacles across those eight lanes. Many times we are organically the subject matter experts, but other times we are not the subject matter experts. We're familiar with the data but we're recruiting in and engaging into the process subject matter experts, whether that's counsel of the attorney, whether that's a CPA or the enrolled agent, whether that's the bookkeeping processes, whether that happens to be the property and casualty agencies that are providing commercial lines or personal lines coverages, all things that we don't do. But most importantly, I think clients want to have someone that's going to ride herd or some firm that's going to ride herd. Who sets the time and responsibility chart of who does what when and sees it through the completion? I think that's what clients are asking us to do. We may not have defined it clearly for them. They don't know how to articulate it yet. But once they hear it, they snap to it. That's for sure. So let's talk about the title. Integrity at Work, Using the Integrity Process to Find Financial True North. What does that signify to you? Well, a, a lot of things, right? Not only do we want to master the, the, the use of money, whether that's financially savvy use of money, whether that's tax savvy use of money, the whole alchemy of how money works together, we want to be able to master that. But that still be, is only the how in the equation. You know, We have this acronym FORM, F-O-R-M. M is for money, but the F is for family, the O is for occupation, and the R is for recreation. We believe the family, the occupation, the recreation are your whys, the things that you mm. that are important to you, and money is simply the how. So not only are we trying to measure in a quantifiable way, mostly qualifiable way for the next part of it, but quantifiably, we're looking after the return on investment. But then what about the return on life, the ROL? How are we how are we encouraging the return on life for these individuals? And how are we perpetuating that message and narrative through to the next generation? You may have heard me say it before. It's not so much of the transfer of valuables to the next generation as it is the transfer of value systems to the next generation that really counts. Yes, because the value systems can determine how they treat the assets that were just bequeathed to them or handed to them, right? <laughs> it can evaporate if you're not careful. Yeah, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, right? Clogs to clogs <laughs> in three generations. You always have something right there on the tip of the tongue. I love interviewing you. And talking with you is even better when Thank I have you. the chance to spend some time. I always feel like I'm learning something in every interaction with you. And I'm sure that's the same way for the audience, for your book. Who did you write this book for? 
I read it for the the individuals who are interested in understanding, do I have full and comprehensive wealth management currently, or if I'm going to be seeking a wealth advisor, a financial advisor, what should I be asking and how do I do it? I mean, one of the chapters is particularly dedicated to that. In fact, on our on our book's website, uh, Integrity at Work, and, it's, and instead of the at sign that we use in our email address, uh, the at uh, is AT, so integrityatwork.com. In there, you can download this particular 25-step uh, checklist. It's I wanted to create a roadmap and a checklist so that people could find their financial true north by having a method when they're interviewing or thinking about their relationship currently or interviewing for a new relationship, they could bring with them that sort of material and understanding about what it is they should be looking for in a financial advisor and be able to screen for that. I think it, it, it makes it far easier for them to decipher, you know, true north from, or let's call it signal from noise. Hmm. So are you saying this book is, intended for the people who are on a discovery for a wealth manager or is it broader than that well the individuals who feel they have solid wealth management this will confirm that they're mm -hmm. receiving solid wealth management it'll also point out potentially where there might be some gaps where they can encourage their existing financial advisor and advisory firm to to help them in that area. It's a shame that the consumer has to help author the future for the, <laughs> for the, for the firm providing it and yeah. that it's supposed to be schooled and, 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 and teaching it. But the truth of the matter is this is so you can know true North and, and as an individual consumer can understand if you have that sort of resource. And I will say not only is it um, categorically or about the categories there's also another there's also another part of this that's subtle. It's the philosophy that the advisors and people pick up on this, I think, even faster because it's intuitive for the consuming public and the and the intelligent uh, uh, investor. They pick up on whether or not their advisor really gives a crap. Right. There's that old saying, they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, if you're not a financial steward helping these individuals see things through to completion, you're really not bringing their household in order. You're really not protecting them against the things and the elements of the environment, whether it's legal, regulatory, tax or otherwise, market forces, economy, if you're not helping the client see all of the pieces. So I think it's... Uh, it's critical to have a philosophical bent that says we're in this together, right? The pilot says to the passengers, if you don't arrive safe, we don't <laughs> arrive safe. And if we don't bring this thing down safely, you know, failure is not an option in this uh, uh, arena. Mm -hmm. So it really sounds like to me, you're informing the public about what they can or should expect from their wealth manager or prospective wealth manager. Which I, which I think is very valuable. An informed buyer is always, I think, better off than an uninformed buyer. And uh, are you, did you give any thought to the fact that your peers might read this and pick up good ideas and best practices? Rick, I don't know if you picked it up because I know you have the book. I don't know if you are saying that because you picked it up. I did say that in the intro preface that, 
if my peers have a chance to read this, let this also help them level up or examine internally whether or not they are delivering it and holding to those standards. And if they are, great. But if they're not, I think the competition makes it better for the consuming public. I think the better questions we can ask as a consumer, the better off we are. And uh, this is um, every trusted advisor that a that a family uses is important in this area. Um, we're not going to talk about that today, but my experience is um, this is critical to your future. And many times, if it's a couple, they're not always seeing the world the same way as it relates to this area of their life. And it's great to have someone capable of kind of bringing resolution to that. So you talked about what's in the book. What are the big ideas or the kind of, so people are going to run out to the bookstore or go online and go to your website because they're just going to have to have <laughs> integrity at work after this conversation. But what are they going to learn from committing? Time well, I, I, I wanted to piggyback. I think we hit on a lot of the nuggets already. I want to piggyback and let's see if it uh, kind of catapults us into an arena that addresses your question. So you said trusted advisor. I mention in the book and I say it to our clients every day and I preach it to the culture of this, uh, the team. We are not seeking to be just a trusted advisor. We are seeking to be the first call advisor. Mm. And if we keep that esprit de corps and that notion that we want to be the first call advisor, that means we have to stand out. Sometimes a little like Brian Tracy, the wonderful uh, trainer, Brian Tracy, who said, don't do anything a thousand percent better, do a thousand things just one percent better. And if we can bring that sort of attitude of constant improvement, you know, Jack Welch and all of that. It's about really making sure it's client centric. That's that's a critical piece. And if you're client centric and you're aspiring to be the first call advisor, which means you are relevant and you are responsible. And if you can deliver on those things consistently, even when you don't know all the answers, well, recruiting a subject matter expert, don't just say, here, I think I know a guy. I think I know a lady. Contact them. No, you got to drive it through to completion. Help the client handhold them. The clients don't always have all the questions to ask. And if they're going into these meetings on their own without their financial advisor, speaking to their attorney about their wills and trusts and powers of attorney and healthcare directives, they're not equipped sufficiently. Yes, the attorney generally has all of the data that can, that can deliver a legal document that's perfectly suitable, but is it really their document perfectly suited to their situation? Because there's a lot of financial aspects. There's a lot of family dynamics that have to be understood and embraced when doing that sort of planning. Never mind if the, one of the clients, one of the spouses or both spouses are going through it and you're working with one or both of those spouses in a family law situation. That financial advisor should be an integral part of that conversation, helping them navigate that path. Life throws at us a lot of events, death, disability, births, um, divorce. That's th These are critical financial events and, and, and financial advisors who just think the job and the role and responsibilities to manage the money, to sell the insurance products or whatever it might be, I think is missing the bigger point, which is no, this is following things through to completion, being a first call advisor and a steward and a shepherd along the path. I think that's the critical takeaways. And that is so important uh, because 
having the consumer do it to each one of their advisors without <laughs> some commonality between that can I think can end up with a mess. You think each one's done the well, best for you? Yeah, at worst, mess. At best, it's just disconnected. Right? And under-optimized. Under yeah, and under-optimized, and it could be integrated. I mean, integrity has that flavor of integration to it, but integrity is really about seeing things through to completion, not just honesty and transparency. It's really seeing things through to completion. That's you know an old definition. It's rarely bantered, but that's what it means to us here every day. So is this required reading by your staff? required yes of course they were contributors they're living it you know our they're what we did was memorialize our best practices into a book you know so i'll get i'm going to take liberty you seem to be allowing me to run a little bit so i'll take that liberty for for a minute the book's origin it's titled integrity at work when i first envisioned it years ago it was just at because we weren't we weren't even in an electronic delivery of email and, and a uh, World Wide Web. So I didn't have that concept of that at sign. But integrity at work is meant to be two things. It's meant to explore the notion of the principle of integrity in relationships, especially in the relationship with your financial advisor. The second thing it was meant to do was be an expose from the inside out of what the best practices are of this company called Integrity Wealth Management. Let's face it. I'm not writing a book just for education. I'm writing that book, hopefully, to attract clients to this process that we have here because they see this distinguishing value proposition from what they're getting in all candidacy. Has it worked? It's beginning. The book has just been published. It'll be on Amazon. Ingram Sparks, where we self-published it, has the book is produced. I have a number of those copies. Um, I'm almost tempted like a commercial for the first 10 callers. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. However, it'll, it's on Amazon. Yes. It'll be available to retail public. I'm not in the book selling business, but I am in the, in the financial, hopefully education process here for folks. Yes. So I, I got a couple, but I, I got a couple sort of personal questions. The first one is you dedicated this book to your mother. Yeah. Can, can you share with us? A bit about your mother and why you felt it was appropriate yeah yeah so february of last year uh my mom had passed at 94 years of age um she was one of these people who lived acted every day in every event in every interchange in a way that was told you how integrity was woven into the fabric of her dna it really was a, a masterful uh, weaving that she had of her command of character. Uh, she reminds me of a saying, it wasn't her saying, that she was the kind of person that when you're in her presence, you felt better about yourself mm -hmm. than when you weren't in her presence. That's powerful. 94, that's a good, good long amount. Of, it's never enough, but that's a good <laughs> long run, right? Yes. So yes. the second personal question is, when you got the first release of the book in your hands printed, how did you, what, what did you feel? Well, we went through a few iterations. So okay. now I'm going to bear my soul. So we had it first produced in softback, paperback. Okay. 
And that was iteration one. I found many things that I ne thought needed changes, including not just formatting and layout, but some things that just needed changing grammatically and mm. typo. Then I had it further proofed. We had a second edition in paperback. We switched then to hardback. And when you go to paperback to hardback, a few interesting things. You have to make decisions. Well, what color is that paperback, uh, that hardback binder going to be? What are you going to put on the inside covers that aren't, you know, uh, necessary on the inside for, you know, the dust covers that you have on a hardback? So we had some of those elements. So there was iteration number one of hardback, and then there was iteration number two of hardback. So we, when I ultimately got the third iteration of hardback, <laughs> it was like, gosh, I... I it was in some ways a quiet little, like, all right, it's anticlimactic now. <laughs> it's anticlimactic. But I have to tell a story. For any of those folks that watch, I think it's a Netflix show. It's called The Affair. And now I'm giving away a little bit of what I watch on TV. And The Affair is, is a they're part, one of the roles are played, the father-in-law of the son-in-law, Noah, who's a middle-aged fella. He's an aspiring author, Noah. And he's trying to get his first book published. Now, this is a, a fictional book. He's telling a story. And his father is a very successful fictional writer. He's published multiple books. He's sold multiple books. And uh, they're sitting out on his uh, back in his backyard facing the Long Island Sound. So this is the father-in-law's home, palatial home. And the father-in-law says to Noah, let's have a little bit of whiskey and celebrate your book. I want to congratulate you. But the father-in-law being the father-in-law said to Noah, you know, everybody has one book in them. Oh, nice. <laughs> what a what a jam and a letdown, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's all I could say, right? Okay. I got to get busy. <laughs> yeah, well, enjoy it while it lasts, but you got to write your second one. All right, well, you'll have, we'll have you back on the show. You can talk about that book. Beautiful. If someone would like to connect with you, or learn more about and buy your book, where should they go? Well, it should be any day now on Amazon, uh, simply Integrity at Work. We're not the first person to publish a book with Integrity at Work as the title. By the way, there's no title infringements. I learned that along the way. Uh, they did not use the at sign. They used the AT. It was published, I think, in 2007. It was really about, just to separate it, it was about the Enron debacle mm. and bringing integrity back into the workplace. Ours obviously is a very different book. So integrity with the at sign at work on um, Amazon. If you want to learn more about the book, get some of the summaries of the chapters. I even do some video vignettes about mm -hmm. each of the chapters on our book's website, integrity at work. That's integrity fully spelled out at work.com. Um, Ralph Adamo uh, on LinkedIn. Follow us there. Integrity Wealth Management's the name of our company. Integrityiwm.com is our website for the company. Well, there you go. Very complete and thorough. I was excited to have you on the show. Thank um, you, Rick. I'm it's always to... a blessing and pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. And best of luck with having the book Halo to the investment business. I'm sure it will.
I appreciate you giving some time today. Thank you. Absolutely. Great to be with you and your audience. Yes. Keep up the great work. You're welcome. Thank you to the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Ralph's interview enters our catalog of over 1,400 interviews that we've done over the years. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur or an author or both, and you'd like to tell your story, why don't you reach out to Haley or to me here on the program? We'd be happy to talk with you about maybe having you as a future guest on the program. You can reach me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's my LinkedIn ID. That's also my website, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.